Amen. Again, good morning, everyone, and um, we'll go ahead and jump into the lesson. Um, the uh, title of the lesson is um, your. <clears throat> the title of the lesson is worth more than the sum of its parts. Or I'll I'll just leave that there. Um, the body of Jesus Christ is. Um, a collection um, when he was living the 33 years or when he was born into this earth and then lived the 33 years uh, the body of Jesus Christ was no different than ours um, he had 10 fingers and 10 toes he had a face he had a he had lungs hands feet you know all of the organs of the body that that we have today uh, we know that Christ said um, he had uh, you know, the same number of teeth, um, all of the things that uh, normally comprise a human being. Again, that's what Jesus uh, was made out of. The same molecules, the same fundamental elements. And it's important to realize that uh, even with the body of Jesus Christ, that everything had to work in the same, for same form and fashion that it works for us. In that in order to... Um, receive nutrients. He had to put uh, food in his mouth. He had to chew it. He had to swallow it. It had to go through the stomach and the, uh, the digestive tract and what was left over was excreted from the body. All of the mechanisms had to work in coordination with one another in order for Jesus to live and, and through his living impart his, his message in the gospel uh, of his father to 12 disciples. The importance of that statement cannot be understated that um, while um, the body of Jesus Christ was, you know, a collection or a sum of different subsystems, um, his worth was more than that. Um, we're all human beings. Um, I, I look across the table at, you know, my uh, my kids and my wife, and and they mean more to me than just um, you know who they are as as human beings. I guess I would say. I mean, they are yes a collection of of subsystems and body parts. Um, but even if they were missing a body part, or missing um, an organ, or were in some way disabled uh, to the extent that they were not. Uh, um, is fully formed, let's say, as everyone else. They would mean the exact same to me. Um, and we all know that's, uh, that's true even with our own, our own families, that you know the uh, role that uh, each family member plays in, the li in each and every one of our lives is, is more than just their, their physical presence, if you will. It's the emotional and, dare I say, spiritual connection that we have with one another. Um, that uh, is invaluable. And when I think about, uh, you know, this, this, this concept of family, this concept of, uh, of worth, um, you know, that can extend out to in, in, in a number of different ways. Um, you know, it could extend out to our jobs, um, you know, where all of us as employees, maybe of an employer, um, we're more than just an employee number. Um, we're more than just a body. 
Um, it's our intellect. It's our drive. It's our um, dedication to our employer that, that really provides profits. The same is true for our country. Many men have died in war, um, whether it uh, be on our side or the other side. Um, but the victory is not uh, how many people sacrifice or how many fewer deaths or how many more deaths, whatever the case may be. It's acts of heroism um, that wins that war. It's one person um, deciding that while yet I am I'm one um, I'm going to be one of, let's say, 100,000 or uh, one of 10,000 lives that will be lost on this battlefield. Uh, I'm going to make a conscious choice to, to do more or to make my death valuable um, in the sea of all these people who are, who are dead on the beach, let's say, of Normandy. You know, I... I look at movies like Saving Private Ryan and, and, and so forth and so on about, you know, the, the value and the worth of just one heroic act and how it can change the tide of an enormous war. Um, there, are, there are many such examples of that in human history. And again, I, I go back to this, this mindset of, of worth. And if you have your Bibles this morning, I, I want to read a passage of Scripture um, from 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. And uh, 2 Corinthians, the uh, 10th chapter, um, Paul has written a, a second epistle to the church of Corinth. Um, the first epistle, um, as you're probably aware of, was um, written because there was a lot of un, uh, unrighteous things going on in the church of Corinth, uh, most notably fornication, um, and, uh, the most popular of which was the fact that a son had taken, um, the wife of, or sorry, he had taken his father's wife. Um, in first Corinthians, he, he, he wrote some very scathing words some very powerful words to them, um, asking them to, um, that they need to get back to their first love, if you will. Um, but most notably that they needed to correct this wrong, um, that they needed to uh, disfellowship from this young man and any others who are associated with it so that it, they could maintain the holiness of the congregation, the holiness of the body um, at, the, at the church there in Corinth. Second Corinthians was a follow-up to that letter. Um, he had learned that uh, the brethren there had taken the necessary steps to uh, correct that wrong, be uh, in the form of church discipline. But yet and still, he was faced with other elements within the congregation there who felt like, um, who is this person who's telling us that, you know, who's airing our dirty laundry, who's getting in our business, who's telling us what we need to do? And Paul addresses that in 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. And uh, I'm going to start reading from uh, verse number 1. And it reads, Now I, Paul, myself beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you, but being absent and bold toward you. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence. 
wherewith I think to be bold against some, which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. And basically what he was uh, stating is that there were some who think that, you know, Paul and, and uh, the evangelists that journeyed with him were just, you know, they, they talked a big game. Um, but when they were in physical presence of others, um, you know, their, their, their physical stature, if you will, was not befitting of, let's say, the bold words that were written in these letters. So they, you know, Paul is saying, you know, some of you think that we walk according to the flesh. And that's really, you know, what the flesh is all about to, you know, uh, to invest in hubris, to invest in pride, uh, to have acts of power or, or portray acts of power, but that that power may not really exist. Uh, but Paul mentions in verse number three that yes, while we are yet human beings, we don't use fleshly tools or fleshly things in order to battle, uh, to engage in this spiritual warfare. And that can be seen in verse number four, where it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth, exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience, when your, when your obedience is fulfilled. Do not look on things after the... Do ye... Boy, I need to read this right. Do ye look on things after the outward appearance? If any man trust to himself that he is Christ, let him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ, even so are we Christ. For though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord hath given us for edification and not for your destruction, I should not be ashamed. That I might seem as if I would terrify you by letters. For his letters, say they, are mighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. And I'm going to stop right there. And there's certainly a lot to unpack, um, verses 5 through 10. Um, but one thing that uh, I'm, I'm hoping each and every one of you heard in, in this reading of the scripture here is that the Corinthian, uh, the Christians in Corinth, um, looked at the value of the human being based on their physical presence. And I want to backtrack here for a second and go back to the analogy of of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was not a handsome gentleman. There was nothing about his, uh, about the collection of the molecules, the subsystems, the skeletal and muscular structure of Jesus Christ that we, that was befitting of the son of the almighty God. He was a regular Joe, a country bumpkin, as we know from um, the the area of Galilee. Um, there was nothing special about his stature in any way, shape, or form. He he didn't have you know more strength, more speed, more cardiovascular health than than anyone else. 
um, or he didn't have any more than what you would expect somebody who was a carpenter. But his value was much more than that, as we know. He was the only begotten Son of God. He was that perfect sacrifice for the sins of every single man woman that has lived and that will ever live. And you can read that in the book of Hebrews. But yet and still the, uh, the members of the body in Corinth, as they looked at Paul and his evangelists, were struck by the stark contrast between his physical stature and the mighty um, and the, the power and the might of his words. Um, you know, to the extent as as we just got through reading here in verse number 10, that some were saying, man, you know, his, 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 his words are, are weighty. Um, they, they get straight to the point, but when he is amongst us, um, you know, he just doesn't carry that same weight and power. Um, again, as, as they have said about Paul, was that his bodily presence was weak and his speech was contemptible. And not that uh, his speech was, you know, um, he didn't use slang or anything along those words, but it was contemptible because he, as we know that Paul was, he was a Pharisee, he was um, a lawyer, if you will, of the Judaic law. So the words that he used in, in just casual conversation um, was precise and educated. And for those in the um, port town of Corinth who were used to sailors and, 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 you know, different slang words being that it was a port city, they found his speech to be contemptible. And so what, what was Paul to do with this? Um, and if you go on and you, and you read uh, what uh, he has to say here in verse number 10, in greater detail, and I'm going to skip down to um, uh, verse number 14 of Second Corinthians, the 10th chapter. He says, For we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure, as though we reach not unto you, for we are come as far as to you also in preaching the gospel of Christ. Not boasting of things without our measure, that is, of other men's labors, but having hope when your faith is increased that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly. Um, it says to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hand. But he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. For not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. And even going back to uh, verse number 12, this, um, this idea of comparative worth um, was something that Paul wanted to shoot down at, at every opportunity. Certainly, um, he said that you know, we don't compare ourselves, or it's not good to compare yourselves with others um, for reasons that, we'll, that I'll highlight here in a few moments. But certainly the commendation of worth is not something that we place on ourselves or is approved by someone who lives amongst us. But the commendation, the approval of worth, as it states in verse number 14, comes from the Lord and the Lord alone. Now, 
I've mentioned this many a times before, um, but uh, for those who are taking notes, if you go back to the book of Judges, In uh, the book of Judges, let's take a look at uh, chapter 2. In uh, the book of Judges, chapter 2, starting at verse number 11, and we'll, we'll read a, a few verses. I won't read all of it. Um, but uh, in Judges, the second chapter, in verse number 2, it says that the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam, or Balaam. In verse number 12, And they forsook the Lord God their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods, of the gods of the people that were round about them, and bowed themselves unto them, and provoked the Lord to anger. Now I have a quick question. Um, how is it that um, a, an entire nation of people, certainly benefactors of the grace of God, and, and uh, as it is written, they were led or brought out of the, the land of Egypt. Um, we know that uh, God chose the nation of Israel because they were small, because they were weak, um, because they, they didn't have a a homeland, if you will, to call their own. But even after all the things that God did for this, for the children of Israel, why is it that they gave themselves over to these other gods? And this goes back to what I just mentioned about this concept of, uh, of worth, or how we uh, define worth and value. Um, and I'm going to speak in a, in a physical sense here for a second. Um, I can go to, um, um, well, I won't, I won't use, well, I'll use the, this example, right? Um, if you go to, uh, what is that, Payless Shoe Store. Payless Shoe Store has a, um, has a, a various brands of shoes, right? And, uh, Payless Shoe Store sells these shoes for a lower cost because the, the brand that they sell at Payless Shoe Stores doesn't necessarily resonate as far as value and worth with all of us who would be out there buying shoes. But you can go to Foot Locker and buy a similar shoe or rather the same shoe manufactured by the same company with the same materials but with a different logo on it, and the value of that shoe is probably 10 to 12 times more than that same shoe that you could buy at Payless. Now, we all justify that in our brains by saying, well, Payless, shoe, Payless uh, shoes break down quicker than, you know, these, and I'm going to use the phrase, high-end shoes that you can buy at Foot Locker. But we know that's not the case, and I'll tell you the reason why. If you go out and buy something that um, is of lower value, are you more inclined to take care of it, um, to nourish it, um, to clean it, to shine it, to do all the things that um, you would do to something that is of high value? The answer to that question is no. You wouldn't invest 
that time and energy into something that is low value. And I can tell you having worn Payless shoes and, and Foot Locker shoes and all shoes in between, um, that the reason why those Payless shoes don't last as long is because I don't, um, I do more in them. I run in them. I do housework in them. I, I kick rocks in them, right? Because they're of no value. So I don't hold them to high esteem. I don't take care of them. And you all know that if you went on and bought a and $200 pair of Jordans, that you would not be outside running around in them, kicking a ball, kicking rocks, doing lawn work. You'd, you'd wear them on special occasions, right? And, and even when they got scuffed, you'd bring them home and you'd take your, your, your shoe cleaner and you'd, you'd clean off the, the slightest of, of imperfections on that shoe. And so the case is when we bring um, carnal values into spiritual matters. And the reason why the children of Israel um, served these other gods was not that these other gods were more powerful, but because the people that worshipped these other gods held them in high esteem, such that when they observed the respect and the honor that they placed in serving these other gods, that the children of Israel thought, well, they must be of value. Certainly more valuable than how we treat our own God, the Almighty God, the Creator of the earth, the Creator of the universe, the only living God. And I, and I say that with all emphasis. There's a reason why brothers and sisters in Christ go and, 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 and serve uh, or, or worship with other denominations. There's a reason why um, Catholicism is as popular as it is amongst human beings. It's not that their version of God um, is more powerful than the Almighty God that's written in the Scripture. It's how we or how we observe others value their faith, value their practice, value their beliefs, and value their idols. Look at the Vatican. It's a, a city-state. It's beautiful. There's no trash. Everyone walks around with reverent respect for all of those physical structures when they, when they go into a temple or synagogue, whatever the case may be. Um, everything is ornate. Everything is clean. Everything is, is shiny and brand new. And, and when we look at that, we may say, wow, that's valuable. That has a high level of value. And that's what struck a chord with the children of Israel. Continuing on in Judges, the second chapter, it says, they forsook, believe it or not, the living God, and started serving an idol, Baal and Ashtaroth. And it says in verse number 14, The anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he delivered them into the hands of spoilers that spoiled them, and sold them into the hands of their enemies round about, so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Whether soever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, 
as the Lord had said and as the Lord had sworn unto them, and they were greatly distressed. So, value. Christ was worth more than the sum of his physical parts. Your child is worth more than the sum of his or her physical parts. And let's talk about the church being more valuable than the worth than the sum of its physical parts. So if you have your Bibles, let's go back to the uh, scripture reading. Um, in 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, starting at verse number 12. And it reads, For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. And again, that's, that's an important statement here to say that, that Christ um, is a collection uh, of many parts. Christ is the sum of of many spiritual parts. It goes on to say in verse number 13, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we bond or free, and have been made, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, rather, I am none of the body, is it not therefore of the body? And if the ear shall say, Because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it not therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now God hath set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it hath pleased him. And it goes on to say, <clears throat> um, in verse number 22, Nay, much more of those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to the part which lacketh, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. Verse 27. And now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. And that's where I'll stop. And just... Again, just remind all the things that we've talked about thus far. <clears throat> is Yes, the congregation here at the corner of 4th and P Street. We are a body. Um, we are a collection of individual members. But our worth as a congregation is not just simply in how many people we have, how many people we have, well, I just said that, but the type of people that we have, um, it's found in the, uh, the worth is the unity that's created amongst each and every one of us through the Spirit. That's, that's, that's the value 
of the congregation at the corner of 4th and P Streets. We've talked about it before, um, even with us, right, where um, people will, you know, say, you know, they've seen our advertisements on the side of a bus, they've seen, uh, they've heard our radio broadcasts, um, they've seen our, um, our work with the homeless, they've seen our homeless packets, they've seen our mailers go out in the mail, but when they come and visit us, they say, wow, you know, with all the work you guys are doing, why are you so small? You know, it's it's almost as if, you know, you're acting, um, you know, with the work that you do. I would expect that you would have more members just because of the multitude of, of, of ways that um, your congregation is connected with the community. And you know what? That, you know, when, when people come into our building and they see our small numbers, what they see, what they may... With the statement that they may make is the same statement that uh, the church in Corinth made about Paul. There's something wrong with this picture. How can the words be so mighty, um, but the physical presence be weak and the speech contemptible? And I would say that that's a short-sightedness short on their part. But it's understandable. It's understandable, um, you know, as, as human beings for us to expect things who we, you know, it's, it's kind of like listening to a voice on a telephone or listening to a radio broadcaster. You hear that person's voice and you create a mental image in your brain of what they should look like. But when you see them in person, inevitably you're let down. You know, you looked, I thought you'd be a lot taller in person. Or your face a little bit more chiseled in person. And I guess I would say the same is true with people and their observations about Christ when, when, he, um, when he was walking or when, when he was living. Is his... Uh, his reputation was not befitting of his physical stature. And I guess I would say that for us at the corner of 4th and P Streets is that we also need to be aware of the fact that in some instances, as, as we deal with people out there in the world, um, that our reputation may not meet with the, um, with the meet up with what they may see if they come visit us. But that shouldn't be our, our sole purpose. That is not our goal. We're not to live up to our reputation of anything. As Paul wrote here in 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, um, as he wrote in 2 Corinthians, um, relative to commending ourselves or comparing ourselves or evaluating worth, our worth is based off of what the Lord says. And we all know that we are worth everything to God. He gave up His only begotten Son to die on the cross because He knows that we are worth it. So we need not worry about our size. We need not worry about the fact that we have that we don't have any PhD theological laureates or Nobel Prize winners or 
we don't have the the, the strongest, the, the the most beautiful, the most handsome, the youngest, the most fleet of foot, etc., etc., etc. At the um, as 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 members uh, of the congregation at Fourth and Peace Streets, all we need to do is concern ourselves with doing the work, being instant in season and out of season, proving ourselves as evangelists as Paul told uh, Timothy to do in 2 Timothy, the last, uh, was it the fourth chapter, I believe, in verse number 15. Our value um, as a congregation is worth more than just the fact that we have, um, you know, 10, 12, 15 people. Um, it, we are worth more to God than the sum of our parts. Uh, we have work to do. Um, and as we go out there and wage this spiritual warfare, as I just mentioned in the introduction, um, all it takes is one heroic act to change a war. And as we go out there into, uh, into this community, striving to do more in 2021, all it takes is one heroic act on our parts to bring the hearts and minds of the citizens of Mercia County back to Christ. But we have to be willing and able to do it. And each and every one of us, regardless of your age, regardless of your relative wealth, or whatever the case may be, you have the ability to do that, because we can do all things through Christ. So I'll leave you um, with that. And uh, as I close out this lesson this morning... Um, as you look at uh, the person to the left and to the right, and if you're alone, as you look into the mirror later on today, you are extremely valuable to God. Again, while you were yet a sinner, Christ sent His Son to die on the cross for you. God, excuse me, sent His Son to die on the cross for you. You are extremely valuable, and not because of what you can do, not because of how many verses you've memorized, not because of how good your voice sounds, not because you're a male or a female, um, white, black, whatever the case may be. Um, it has nothing to do with that in God's eyes. God's the value that God has for you, um, or has of you, is, is what's inside. It's that spirit um, that He's given to each and every one of us. That's what's valuing. And He does not want any of His creations to die in that place, or to be in that place of eternal torment. He wants all of us to be where He is in heaven. So if you're here this morning, and you have... Um, lost sight of the value that God has for you. You can get that right this morning. If you've been living contrary to the will of God, um, you can come to God again at this moment with a repentant heart and ask for forgiveness. Again, this is the message that we should be portraying to every person that we come in contact with when given the opportunity, which is to tell them that God loves them that God values them, that God loves and values you so much that, again, that He sacrificed His Son. And to be benefactors of that sacrifice, to be benefactors of that love, one must hear, believe, 
repent, confess, and be baptized. And to realize uh, that gift, that uh, the gift of eternal life that awaits all of us, they also must live faithfully until death. So the lesson is yours again. We'll sing a song of invitation, and ap immediately afterwards, the floor will be open to anyone who needs to request your prayer. Thank you very much for your time and attention.